What was the first thing you did when you got to VMworld in Europe? I rode a taxi to the hotel. Okay, I'm looking for something cooler. Than that. <laughs> it needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics, but you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. They may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node vSAND. Aw, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 23 for Tuesday, November 13th. Live to tape from the GigaCast headquarters, I'm Britton Johnson. And broadcasting live from my home lab, I'm Tony Reeves. Welcome to November, everybody. It's been a month, and holy cow, what a difference a month makes. Tony, it's a boy. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, had, thank you. We had uh, a baby boy on October Saturday night, October 20th. So awesome. he's a cute little guy. And he just, you know, the, I think the best part of that story is, is your wife was in labor all day and didn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm across town. I went to band practice at church and we're coming back and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Do you want us to pick up dinner? And she's like, yeah, you and... You and uh, Ryan probably should because I think we're going to have the baby tonight. I just got off the phone with the doctor. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Then, of course, that's there's the moment when you find that out and everybody on the freeway is doing 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. And you're like, right. get out of my freaking way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and, I, and I told my wife that and I'm just like, suffice it to say, your wife knows you really, really well. And she did the right, the right, she did the right thing because you would have been freaking out the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Have been that bad. yeah yeah you would have so so you had a boy my daughter uh had surgery to get another cochlear implant so that so we've both had like major medical things happen in the last month and so it's just been crazy mm-hmm. so and i've just survived and cody diarklin's here <laughs> he snuck in the back door again <laughs> what's up guys cody Welcome how you back. been doing swell home back back in the states so feeling good about that how long were you over in here oh let's see left on the third uh because we got in because i did part of the hands-on lab stuff so i was there a couple days before most of the other the other vmware folk uh i was there for i think eight days seven days like that that's dedication folks that's a trip (laughs) something like that a whole lot of something (laughs) (laughs) yeah so good to be home though good to be back with the family good to good to be back at at home i always i always tell people that i'm it sounds super corny but um i'm fortunate to have a life that i that i am excited to come back to i know a lot of people in the business who um they look at these like trips away from away from family as like a break but it's it's hard when i leave so it's it's good when i come home it's, it's good to have that kind of a life yeah that's that that makes a huge difference especially when you're doing long trips like that I mean, yeah, 19 hours one way, 21 back. And then I got late or had like a delay. So it was almost like a full day of, of flight travel oh. uh, after the delay and everything. So that's rough. That's never fun. Yeah. 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 But your mileage status probably got a huge boost for that. Uh, <laughs> because I came out of the, t- the tech marketing team late in the year, like I wasn't traveling a lot. Um, 
as as an SE. So I have I have no status really. But uh, John Shulman, I don't know if you guys saw, I posted on Twitter. Uh, John Shulman actually threw down. He had an upgrade certificate for uh, for United, and he threw it down on my domestic flight home. So like the New York to Sacramento flight, and mm-hmm. it came through. So it was my first time ever flying in first class. So that was Ooh, pretty cool. Nice, nice. The closest yeah, thing I've ever done to that is my wife and I took a vacation to Seattle and we flew business class from Minneapolis to Seattle for like an extra hundred bucks each. And we're just like, oh, this is so worth it. So it's kind of it's actually kind of funny because um, while first class was nice and I'm, no complaints, it would happen that the first class flight that I was able to get upgraded on, there was like 10 rows of economy plus wide open that were like full on open rows. So like it's first class better than three, three open seats of so you of could have just laid plus. down on the open seats. I, I know that's, that's, that's kind of my <laughs> point, right? Like, I don't, I don't know which one's better uh, because like the first class seats are really nice, but they're also kind of shorter in my opinion, or they felt shorter to me, which as a tall guy, it's yeah, tough. Well, so either way, for you. First, first world problems, <laughs> like, tall, tall guy problems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Props to John for throwing down the, uh, the upgrade cert. That was that was really cool. So. All right. So before we get into more of what happened in Europe, um, do we have any other news updates, Tony? I don't, I don't... Um, we Well, we just got through Blogtober, which I was an epic fail because of all the baby stuff. I think you'll get a pass. But it, look, but it looks like you you nailed it. Um, did you hit all five? No, I only, I only, I only did the three, but I didn't get any credit okay. for it because they weren't tech. So, yeah, I never officially signed it. It will no. Semantics. If you look at what Matt Heldstead puts out on Twitter, he specifically tags them Blogtober Tech hashtag Blogtober Tech. So, ha- so you should have hashtagged them Blogtober Tech. Just credit <laughs> for it. <laughs> I never actually signed up with Matt either, so I'm. Oh, I'm, well, that's I'm, the technicality. Yeah, so I'm fine. Just being whatever because that was a last minute kind of just i did it i did each of them probably within like half an hour because this is just it was an idea rolling around in my head because i've been like a part-time stay-at-home parent for the last two three four years Mm -hmm. along alongside working full-time and i watch a lot of kids tv shows and (laughs) (laughs) so as i'm watching these kids tv shows with my kids i'm like Whatever that guy just said, that was an amazing leadership quote. <laughs> yeah, you actually were banging those posts out pretty quick. So, like, I'm, as I'm watching this stuff, I'm like, man, this stuff is gold, Jerry. And <laughs> <laughs> so, Love it just, the sign yeah, and it was just like, I mean, especially like the first one that hit me was this Care Bears Netflix sh- show. And like the very first episode in the first like 120 the first like minute of the series this character comes out and he lays out a leadership 101 lesson that just just like everything he does in the first two minutes or two or one minute of the show is everything every leader in a leadership position should do with their team and it's and i saw that i'm just like this is so simple how come people don't do this so <laughs> go to gigabit gigabit.com slash blog and just look at those last couple of entries and they're the only three that are out there really. Um but you're not a blogger. I'm not a blogger, I'm a podcaster and I'm not sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Because, you know, I got all kinds of grief from Mario Sanchez because he's just like, oh, I don't, you know, you don't tell me you don't have time. And I'm like, you're right, Ariel, I don't have time. But, or I do have time. I just don't want to make time to do it. I want to spend time with my family. <laughs> yeah, see, and, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I'm a believer in doing stuff that, that inspires you, right? And there's a lot of things you can make time for, but you shouldn't force yourself into something if it's not inspiring you. Like right. I blog because a huge port, like some of the, like the biggest people I look up to blog and I want to have that kind of impact and that, that inspires me, but mm-hmm. you also do the podcast thing. And I don't know if I really have the discipline to, to stay consistent on doing a podcast. Right. right. So it's all, I'm all, I'm a fan of people doing things that, in, that inspire them, whether it's, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, whether it's, drawing in the clouds with butterflies <laughs> well and i <laughs> would love to do fun. this more often but it, the, the time just isn't in the cards you know totally. but yeah um other news tony i am now a wisconsin vmug leader instead of a steering committee member so i congratulations. got congratulations i still don't have a sound effect for that <laughs> yeah i uh, got a promotion and um be helping out more in that capacity and uh looking forward to hopefully making it to the vmug leader summit in palo alto in february yeah i saw that so i want to see if i can pull off something something fun for that what Um, are your chances of actually getting to that tournament do you think um well i cleared it with my wisconsin uh, co-leaders okay and uh i had to apply i i didn't you know never having done this before didn't realize there was an application process but there is and um, so I guess we'll see what happens after that. They they do send one from uh, one maximum per VMUG, but they don't send from every VMUG. So this being my first year, I guess we'll just kind of see what happens. I think it's a lot of them though, right? Like I think it's a lot of VMUGs because I did. So I yeah, worked the summit last year. Okay. Um, and there was a lot of people, a lot of people. So you going to be there next year? Uh, well, I mean, it's not a big deal for me to head down. Even if I'm not formally there, I'll just drive yeah. down and, and visit with everyone. Either How far way, like Bella? two, two hours, okay. it's an easy drive. I'll, I'll head down in the morning and just have BU meetings and they do a good show. Like there was a lot of stuff that the VMUG people got, uh, that year. Like as far as not like swag stuff, they got some cool swag, but, um, presentations and mm-hmm. I think Pat came in and spoke like there was a lot of really cool stuff about about the the leader summit that year or last year yeah it looked really interesting and you know uh, being active in the community i have a, a bunch of friends that had encouraged me to try to make it uh, this next year and so i'm glad it's hopefully going to work out so i'm looking forward to it yeah i haven't seen anything internally around um around what the uh what the agenda looks like yet i don't know if they've really firmed that up but i know who to message so cool to ping around and see if i can force my way into some some VMUG leader summit combos and knowing is half the battle gi <laughs> joe well played yeah yeah <clears throat> oh oh i know this is not tech related but stan lee yesterday oh so oh. man that's uh like, i saw that painful. and i was just like i don't know i mean he's 95 I, I didn't even know he was that old first of all yeah. and it's gonna hit people hard next uh gonna hit people hard next um avengers next film. avengers movie yeah, yeah. it's like i wonder well, if he already got his cameo done or not yeah yeah true if they do and they put it in then it'll hit people even harder i would think 
But yeah, that was that was some shocking news yesterday. And I mean, like, I, I my response on Twitter was within my instant thought when I saw this, and I tweeted it out because it's like this is an instant thought that I should just put on Twitter because it, just because. But there's a case for a guy who, from from all the outside perspectives, he loved what he did. Mm-hmm. And he's like a perfect case scenario for do the work you love and you're going to be just beyond happy with what you do in your life and, and, and how doing work that you love can impact the world for good because yeah. man, that guy has changed so many, so many people's lives. He's created careers for people, you know, entire movie studio around his right. projects and and, yeah. and good on marvel for bringing him back into the fold mm-hmm. after kicking him out years and years ago there's a you know and we won't get into it too far on this but there's like if you ever have a chance go back and read like the story of marvel studios and how marvel studios came to be and it's like a, it's a crazy crazy story like how not going to say specific to stan lee but um like the fact that they pretty much bet the entire existence of Marvel on that first Iron Man movie being successful. And if they had lost, Mm -hmm. if they had lost, like if, if the movie hadn't done well, it was not going to be a good thing for, for Marvel. So it's a really cool story to go and read up, read up on. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I guess I, when I saw the news that, um, I guess it was just a couple of months ago that Marvel celebrated their, their 10th anniversary. Wasn't it? I think earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember seeing that and I'm like, what? They're only 10 years old. For some reason, I thought they'd been around longer. I didn't realize that the first Iron Man was their first movie. Well, because there had been other movies based on Marvel Comics, but they just were done so right. horribly that people just ignored them in large part. Yeah. But, you know, so and, and, Rip, Rip Stanley. Yeah. And, and everybody, you know, like critically, they hate Marvel films because they're all the same, but. You know, it's fun to watch. I don't know, man. They score. They score pretty well on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. I'm a fan. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? All right. Back to back to tech. Back yes. to technology. <laughs> that was a little segue. Segue done. <laughs> Moving on. So, Cody, what was the first thing you did when you got to VMworld in Europe? I rode a taxi to the hotel. Okay, I'm looking for something cooler. Than <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, as far as getting to VMworld or getting to like... That is my Europe. question. That was my question, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. So, because I was on the hands-on lab team, uh, we get in a couple of days early and we go in and we run through testing on the labs. So I was working on... Uh, I had my own lab that was... Well, not my own lab. I had a lab that I kind of watched over, which was... The Cody uh, lab. Right. Is extend, advanced extensibility. So it's the module for VRA that covers like InfoBlox and Puppet um, and some basic VRO stuff. But I also helped, and I use help lightly. Uh, I worked with Grand Orchard and a guy named Chris Slater on the the cloud automation services lab. So they had done a ton of the work. Um, Grant and I, or Grant more so, but I had helped with some of the automation around how the uh, lab instantiates with Python. Uh, and then I helped them do some of the rewrites on the manuals. <laughs> but um, we, so we worked on that, testing it, making sure it was ready for users, making sure that there was no problems. So we were did that, we did that from probably about that was so I got there on Friday, uh, that started on Sunday, 
So from Sunday uh, until at like 10 a.m. until 6 p.m., we were working on that. So I guess this is the main question that hits my mind when I hear about VMworld in Europe is how is it different from the U.S. version? Is it smaller? Is it? It's definitely smaller. I'd say it's probably about 20, 30 percent the size of wow. uh, VMworld US. So it's considerably okay. smaller. I mean, the hands-on lab area is is very, t- very tiny compared to compared to what you'd see in in uh, US. Uh, everything's a lot more like centrally located from a from like the show floor area. The sessions like breakout sessions are pretty far away. Uh, so that that's a little bit, I would say a little bit inconvenient. Um, it's a much more like l- slower pace conference, like VMworld Vegas, you're just going 24 by seven wall to wall. Right. Yeah. Um, Barcelona is definitely a slower pace. I think it's just a, a culture thing. Yeah. That's just Spain a in a nutshell. Chill. Yeah. It's just a little bit more chill. Uh, but like it, it was, it was interesting to be out like on the the solutions exchange floor and have it be everything's very like tight together in that in that area. So it's it's very it's a very interesting experience. It's very cool, uh, but it's very interesting. Now, cool. is everything primarily still done in English? Yeah, yeah. So it's dead. they have a couple of like hands-on labs that have if if there's um, other language people. Uh, like people who speak other languages, they'll host those. Um, but generally everything is, is in English, which is interesting because one of my feedback items on like, uh, mine and Kyle, Kyle's session, I haven't talked to him about this yet. So if he listens to this, he'll, he'll hear this. One of the feedback things we got was, uh, Cody needs to remember that in Bar- in VMware Barcelona, not everyone is an English speaking or English speaking, which it's true, but I'm not entirely sure what I would have done different. <laughs> like, because no one had non-English Talk sessions. more slowly. What, maybe, it... Honestly, maybe that's, maybe that's the feedback, but that wasn't what was said. So it was a little, little right. confusing. Um, yeah, so, so same sessions, though. Like, mine and Kyle's session was, was the same. Um, I had a cloud automation services session that was a new ad. So that one obviously didn't have like a baseline to compare with, but yeah. Yeah. Cause I think they pretty clearly notated on the VMworld registration page, you know, that it's going to be sessions in English. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it was, it was, it was a weird one, but maybe it was a talk slower kind of feedback thing. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, you're, you're a passionate guy, so I can see when you get really going on topic that you're, oh, yeah. you know, excited yeah, about that. You just, really, just really get going and, you know, totally. So maybe that maybe that's it. I don't know. We'll see. See, maybe maybe they'll hear this and and drop me a line on Twitter and explain. <laughs> if we if we have listeners in Spain or in EMEA, that then I'm I tip my hat to all of them. If I was wearing a hat. <laughs> so. Um, okay. Other, I guess like. When it comes to stuff in Europe, I'm sorry. Any other big announcements? Uh, The Heptio thing was a big one. So, you know, obviously welcome back all of, all of the people who, who had left. So Scott Scott is back. Great. Uh, So Heptio was, was a big announcement. Um, 
I think they re they announced the renaming of VKE to VMware Cloud PKS or PKS Cloud, something like that. I'm trying to remember if there's any other major major announcements. CMBU didn't have any any big announcements. Uh, we announced the there was the announcement of like the new vSphere Platinum licensing, which has like App Defense in it. Mm-hmm. And so we had vSphere or VRealize Suite Platinum or whatever that includes it. So there's that, um, but not to our product announcement so much. And there's there was a lot of chatter about the ESXi and a Raspberry Pi, which oh yeah that that yeah that's a good one like why aren't which which to me it seems like they should be calling it ESX Pi, but that's just me. <laughs> but at the same time, like I didn't I didn't watch that whole announcement, but I saw the little exchange between Pat and now I just forgot his name. <laughs> Ray O'Farrell. Ray. Ah, yes. And I'm just, I'm like, that's cool. But then I'm just like, what could you even use this for? And I know everybody, I know there's, there's a whole bunch of like blogs and the people out there that are figuring out use cases for this thing. But I'm just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't own a Raspberry Pi. So I don't, I've never really played with one to know how much or what you can do with it. All I know is it's a really, really low power PC. I think it's you know it's it's a pretty exciting use case use case to me, um, especially when you think about like the implications for edge. I mean, when I worked at the utility company, we had we had sites that we'd throw a you know a small host out at um, that were really only running like one to two two machines, and they were like really just there for for sensor data and stuff. So like it's definitely there's there's a huge use case for it. I think it's it's really exciting, and you know of course I'm excited for when it becomes a uh, a fully available thing to see people with their their 12, 12 node uh, Raspberry Pi vSphere clusters. <laughs> It'll be here. I, here I am trying to add it to add it to VRA or add it to CAS. So. Yeah. Well, I think they said in the announcement that they were able to f- shrink it down to use five hundred twelve uh, meg of RAM, so you'd still have yeah. five twelve free. So, I mean, if you if you start talking containers, you can actually run a few a fair amount of containers in that. Absolutely. You're not going to run any Windows VMs, but there's a lot of IoT implications and things that people are thinking about doing with that stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Another point that I had heard brought up as well is that that platform for ARM, you know, people want to see it run on a Pi, but there's a lot of more powerful machines that will run that platform as well that have more CPU availability and, and more RAM as well. So yeah, we have to. We have to remember that like the the Raspberry Pi thing is is cool, but it's also the most recognizable thing. So it makes sense for for that to be shown. But we have to remember that there are, that there are uh, ARM systems that are much much larger than that, right? Yep. Well, can't, there's a lot of like uh, Synology devices that are running on ARM. So yeah, yeah. That, that that to me seems like that'd be an interesting use case because you can actually add RAM to some of those and tons of local storage. So yeah, like my my Synology is a is has I, I can I think I bought it up to like sixteen gigs or some some noise like that. So uh, imagine putting like a witness host on a Synology box, right? That that talks with your with my like two node two node vSynchs. Right now, I run my witness VM on like my management host as a separate one, right? Like I could potentially move that footprint into my Synology as an example. Yeah, and I think Duncan Epping was also talking about that being a potential, you know, deployment case for a witness appliance on Raspberry Pi as well. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm in the middle of, I, that's something I forgot to announce. I'm in the middle of finally building out my two node vSAN, Cody. Oh, I love me. Love me some two node vSAN. Yeah. I actually, from somebody who wants to rename and remain anonymous, but you know who you are and you're probably listening at some point in the future. Um, they donated the uh, 10k drives that I needed and they donated three of the four SSDs. I need to run two nodes in each uh, server. So very nice. Uh, yeah, I have to flash the controllers to IT mode and get my networking set up, and I'll be good to go. Very nice. So for the vSAN uninitiated, which would be me, um, <laughs> what is that exactly? Talk, talk me through a basic overall design of what that two-node setup looks like. So basically, you're mirroring the contents across both hosts. Um, okay. And then you have this witness appliance, which gets deployed into a separate physical infrastructure. Um, it can be either separate local or it can be across, a, for example, a WAN link or uh, something else. And essentially, it allows you to have that witness component, which is on a three or four or five or you know a normal vSAN cluster is normally inside of the cluster. You can have it outside the cluster. Uh, and it allows you to get that, um, uh, the word is escaping me the quorum that you need uh, oh, yes. um, to determine uh, if in the event of a failure, uh, what data uh, wins. And in that scenario, you have the availability, uh, you have the, also the, excuse me, um, the ability to save the money. Uh, you can do two node direct connect and you don't even need to switch. In, in right, right, right. Okay, there it is. Yep. So the, the witness itself, it's a per primary purpose is what? Just to make decisions between who's primary and who's failover? or something else yeah it provides the quorum to determine which side of the data wins if you have a failure the other thing is um the witness appliance is actually just an, another build of esxi it's just it's custom built and it's not allowed to run any virtual machines so mm. when, you, when you deploy it you're deploying that uh custom vm and it's it's for those that are familiar with nested virtualization it's essentially it's a nested vm uh, you can run on bare metal, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm losing my train of thought there. It's okay. It's a purpose-built uh, purpose uh, virtual appliance, right? So, like, it's purpose-built to be a witness host. So, like, you can obviously do that on a on a physical, but, like, if you have a device that's a purpose-built, why not use it? Mm -hmm. So, Cody, you did, switching gears, this would be an amazing transition, um, you did another V Brown bag recently. Oh, and I listened to a good majority of it live and then I had to put the kids to bed and then I jumped off for a little bit and then I came back on just in time for you to unplug your headset. Um, that was epic by the way. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I did this V Brown bag on. No, this was a, this was a CAS one. This was a yeah. cloud automation V Brown bag. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really good. You're, you kind of like stepped through you know step one and you know covered a lot of introduction type stuff of what CAS does and all that and so if, if you're really wondering what cody does on a day-to-day -day basis go look at go go out to youtube and find the v brown bag channel and pull up pull up his his last one most the most recent one and you will be amazed so I'll, I'll uh i'll drop some i'll drop some knowledge on you guys and anybody who's listening to this uh we'll get to uh, i'm not talking about this on twitter 
I'm hoping, my hope is that nobody will, who listens to this will talk about it on Twitter. I can't stop you, but let's be, let's play the honor <laughs> system. Uh, Yay, we get an exclusive. No, this is, so this is, this is, and this is like, I would put this as like a quasi big exclusive. Whoa. Uh, so we are going to do a, uh, a very unique V Brown bag in December where we are going to get the hands-on lab to pre-populate 50, uh, 50 lab environments. And we are going to take, uh, people from the community. I'm going to drop it in the V expert chat, V expert cloud chat, uh, set up some signups. We're going to take 50 people through, uh, some, some custom lab exercises, uh, on CAS. So we're going to do this on V Brown bag, uh, targeting the 19th of December, I think. Uh, so basically I'll, I'll put out a thing. People sign up, you'll get a, um, we'll add you you'll have access to the, the cloud automation services environment you'll be able to go into the hands-on lab load it up we will take you through um we'll take you through kind of step by step how to do some cool stuff it's going to be me and grant orchard leading it so okay. grant's one of my best friends on the planet he's a phenomenal dude really really smart with uh, with kaz we've been in it he was in it a little bit lo- like a little bit longer than me but we've been in it since since the beginning together uh, so we're going to lead it, but then John Shulman, uh, who, uh, he's, he's in the community. John Shulman, uh, used to be a field, a field, uh, S, or he was a specialist for cloud management, but now he's in product management. So he's going to be there, uh, doing, um, kind of being a voice of, of product management there to help answer questions, um, talk about some directions some strategy stuff, uh, but also there to help us out if we get, if we get stuck, um, but it's going to be a really, really, really fun, uh, really fun kind of session because usually V usually V Brown bags, they're a blast. I love doing them, but they're very much me presenting to you. Right. But now we're going to turn this around and have you able to actually participate and we'll have like a Slack channel set up. People can come in there and, and talk through stuff. Um, see the environment. It's going to be a fully functional CAS environment. It's going to have NSXT in it. Uh, it's going to have, uh, you know, ESX hosts, obviously it'll be set up to do provisioning to Azure or AWS. And we're going to take you through building, building blueprints and, and setting it up. So it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. We're, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Chris Williams is going to come in and host it for us. So Chris is nice. dear oh, yeah. friend. Great guy. Yeah. We love Chris. Yeah. Friend of the show. Mm-hmm. And he's he's gonna come back probably sometime next year because he wants to uh, talk more about um, AWS cloud formation templates. Yeah, cool, cool. Chris is Chris is doing some really cool stuff these days in, yeah. in AWS. Super happy for him. That's also why you know with the multi cloud stuff, um, he was also the first person to ever host my v brown bag so when we were talking like i definitely wanted him to host this so yeah he's a great guy chris if you're listening yeah, so to hopefully video. hopefully you guys will be able to schedule some time and and be a part of that too it'd be fun to have you guys come out and, and play with it well depending upon when awesome. it is <laughs> yeah it, the the 20th is my birthday so it's 19th scrub suck it up <laughs> Let's see we got we have a v mug the 18th i know so all this stuff there's the, all, all i'm hearing is that the 19th is an optimal day because <laughs> neither of you have anything going on 
on the 19th. That's what I'm hearing here. <laughs> so, well, if we get the exclusive, I guess we should get an invite. Yeah. Well, send send me. Uh, you left to do. Uh, well, we'll I will watch the tweeters for it, and if I see it, I'll try to sign up. Okay. I'm not going to promise you anything. <laughs> we already had the family time discussion. You better have a good excuse for why you don't, or I am, I am going to go. You're gonna go. Biblical. You're gonna go to virtually biblical. speaking from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Our contract is over. <laughs> right. No. So it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a real fun real fun thing and a good way to give the community a chance to to play with something that uh, they're not always, that's not always as easy to get to. And we're not going to necessarily throw people into the hands-on lab. Um, it's going to be there, but we're, we're going to use that hands-on lab environment to do custom exercises. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I will do my best to sign up. I probably, you know, cross my heart and hope that I can make it because it's one of these things. Like every time I, every time, every time I talk to somebody from VMware or wherever, I always say, and this is my broken record moment of the show, I want to learn this stuff. I want to know it all, but I just can't, you know? Yeah. I haven't learned that lesson yet. I can learn everything <laughs> <laughs> until I have a brain, until I have a brain seizure. Your wife comes into your office and on. just finds you on the floor and blood everywhere one day. But I'm gonna do the smartest guy bleeding on the floor. <laughs> that's, that's a quote that needs to get worked into the intro. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those moments where I'm really, happy. I'm really, I'm, I'm really proud of that because it came off immediately. Didn't even have to think about it. It was just there. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good time. Uh, Did it's you uh, podcast tonight? Yeah. Did you do the uh, hackathon of VMworld Europe too, or not? No, not this time. Uh, you know, the the truth is, with how busy Vegas was, I really wanted this VMworld to be a little bit, a little bit more on the on the chill side. So I, I I skipped out on on that this year. Spent time with people from Europe that I don't always get to see. Uh, took it took it pretty easy. Okay. What was your uh, VMworld hackathon project? I forget. Uh, so, so my, it's, there's two sides to this. My project was to teach people Python, right? The project for the team was kind of a Slack bot kind of thing, uh, that was interacting with, uh, with VMC. So Brian Graff hooked us up with, a with a single node VMC instance that we were using and doing like AWS Lambda calls via Python. But I was pretty clear with the team out of the gate, like, look, if you guys all walk or walk away knowing a little bit of Python, then my goals met. Like, I don't care if we win. I don't care if we lose. I just want to teach you guys something. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Tony, do you have anything? I'm, I'm, I'm already out of my list of stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind of a low key episode this time around. Um, but you guys got broke off with some exclu ex exclusivity. Yes, we did. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I don't really think I have anything else for him. I mean, as far we, as something we can't end now. We've got like a whole hour left. Uh, I know. <laughs> so, so I don't know, Cody. Do you mess with containers at all? I do. Uh, running them in Docker, or what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
I actually just worked on a, a project internally. I'm trying to build some better demo content internally for some of our automation platforms. And one of them, uh, one of the things I built was a, a little three tier application in, in Docker. It started off as just a Docker, a Docker app and then grew into a Kubernetes app. So, um, learned a lot about, about building it with like Docker compose and then grew up into, into doing it in, in Kubernetes. Um, so yeah, I've I've been around the gamut. So is Docker compose like a light version or a easy beginner version of Kubernetes then? Mm, I wouldn't say that. So what Docker compose allows you to do is instantiate, uh, an application usually an application stack using using docker so for example you're you might not be a kubernetes expert but you're familiar with the concept that when you deploy an application in kubernetes usually you're deploying a yaml file and it reads that yaml and deploys the tiers of an application right i am now okay there you go <laughs> i'm learning docker compose is very similar um Think of, the best way to think about it is think about the manual process, right? If you had three Docker containers that you had built to interact with one another, right? You built a three-tier app. Maybe the front end is an Angular, Angular application. Uh, the mid-tier is like an API layer that's probably like an Nginx web server with maybe Python Flask inside of it that's doing API calls. And then your back end is database. And all those are wired up to talk to each other. If you were doing it manually, you would do deploy a Docker network. You would then deploy, you'd build each one of the containers and then deploy those containers onto that network and hope that you had wired everything up together. Mm -hmm. uh, with Docker Compose, you can actually link all of them together, right? So you can have this file that deploys this multi-tier application. Uh, it's, it's a shame that this is not a, a video cast because I have an example of that that makes a lot of sense. I'll send it to you offline. Um, and okay. you can take a look at what a Docker Compose file looks like. You can but share your screen and you can put it on the video on YouTube. Yeah. That's true. You could do that. I just have to make sure there's nothing terribly, terribly tragic in here. Uh, okay, <laughs> where is... The reason I'm asking all of this is just the other day, last week, I uh, spun up my very first Docker container and and trying to learn a little bit more about it. I... I spun up Portainer, so I had a, a visual GUI to kind of confirm what's in there. Uh, and then I've been working on Plex and uh, just trying to... I, Britain had mentioned, actually, that's probably something else we should talk about, Britain, is um, I'm also working on getting uh, my Uni Ubiquity Unify controller uh, set up as a Docker container. And so I'm running, I'm running my, my USG as a, as a Docker container as well. You are? Or my okay. USG, not my USG, my, uh, my Unified controller. controller, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just starting to learn about this. I've learned a lot about the commands, the permissions, um, building my NFS, excuse me, NFS shares out to my FreeNAS server for storage. And just, uh, there's a lot to it that I never thought of before. So Yeah, totally. So this is a Docker Compose file to, on okay. that note. Uh, there's three containers. Right, so I have a front-end container, I have an API container, I have a database backend. Uh, it basically gives instructions on what it needs to do and what order it needs to do. So it exposes port 80 on the front-end. All of this stuff lives on the this CMBU network, Cloud Management Business Unit. And those containers can talk freely between one another, but we've exposed port 80 out. So this is essentially like a recipe for deploying a multi-tier Docker 
Docker instance. Now this will deploy them all onto a single host. So when I go at Docker compose up, it'll read this file and do all of that. But I can also do like Docker compose build, Docker compose push. So build will build the containers, uh, push will push them into my repository. So I have a Harbor repo up, um, that is VM Harbor is uh, VMware's open source uh, Docker Docker registry. So same thing as Docker Hub, but uh, more tuned for like on-premises hosting. Okay. So this will actually go out and deploy my cool little application on a single Docker. So you could pull this down. You could clone this repo that I have, the CMBU bootcamp repo. Mm-hmm. You could do a Docker... Um, a Docker Compose up against this, and it would deploy successfully on a Docker host in your environment. Hmm. So them is be a recipe. But then, like conversely, if we go back in the repo and we look at the Kubernetes deployment, this is what it looks like from a Kubernetes standpoint, right? So we have our application tiers. We're tagging them out. We're creating co- communication between those. We're saying how many replicas we want uh, of each tier so on and so forth. So you see the the Kubernetes file is much more complex, but it's also deploying mm-hmm. a load balancer. It's doing a lot more stuff than than the Docker Compose. So most people like develop inside of Docker, move up to deploying their stack and Compose. And if, when everything's deploying fine and Compose, they will uh, move up and deploy out of Kubernetes. Okay. So just a kind of a different way of doing things. Sounds like uh, Kubernetes is more large enterprise than automation. Uh, when you care about fail failure and how to and how to uh, have like an operational platform, right? Because like Kubernetes will also, you can set up health checks so that if a pod goes unhealthy, it automatically tears it down and redeploys it. Um, there's a lot of stuff that Kubernetes adds from like a resiliency standpoint. Docker natively has something called Swarm that used to be like they used to be the competition used to be Swarm versus uh, versus Kubernetes. Kubernetes kind of won that battle. Uh, Swarm is still a thing. Swarm is a very easy way to do like clustered, uh, clustered Docker stuff, um, and have like three Docker hosts that communicate with each other, and you're able to deploy replicas similar to in Kubernetes. Is there any um, for somebody like me who's you know beginner learning this stuff from the ground up? Is there any good recommendations for videos like Pluralsight or anybody out there that you know of that has some good learning videos? Oh man, there's a there's a ton of content out there. You can kind of throw a stone and land some good place. If you want to learn Kubernetes, uh, there's a book called Kubernetes Up and Running. Okay. Uh, Kelsey Hightower, Joe Beta wrote it. Uh, Joe Beta, who works for Heptio, who VMware just bought. Uh, so I, I I found that book to be amazing. That was a great that was a great read. There's a ton there's a ton of content out there. Um, I'm totally blanking out on anything that's that's great right now. As a VMware guy, you know, I always recommend looking at like vSphere integrated containers. They're a great place to start. Uh, mm-hmm. Likely already licensed for it, so might as well check it out. And Vic yep. is just a fun fun platform and really has some cool uses. And I see I. I kind of wasn't sure where to start with this whole container thing because they've always kind of fascinated me. And and like Britain's always said, it's just hard to find the time to delve into all of these different uh, technology disciplines. But I couldn't make my decision up whether I wanted to go Docker or whether I wanted to go um, the other route. And I was just like... Kubernetes? Yeah. So it's not one or the other. You have to know Docker to move up to the Kubernetes stack. So uh, No, sorry. uh, Docker versus Vic. And so I wasn't sure which route I was going to go. I actually ended up getting a Vic deployment. 
I think it was 1.0 or 1.1, and then they revised it shortly after I deployed the OVA. And I hadn't finalized the installation, but they said that uh, I think 1.2 made the installation a lot easier. So I'm like, well, I should probably do that. And then I never got around to it. And so now I've just done Docker. So Vic is Vic is still Docker. Um, it's just a method. It basically, it turns your ESX host into a Docker host. Like that's a, there's a lot more tech to it than just that. But a good way to think about it is like with Docker, you're deploying like a Ubuntu VM mm-hmm. or a CentOS VM and you're installing Docker on it. And then that's your Docker host yep. with Vic your vSphere host is your Docker host. And there's some really cool stuff, like you being able to use uh, vSAN for persistent storage. Like uh, Cormac Hogan did a, a ton of really good articles around how to use vSAN as like a persistent data store for for uh, for Docker hosts. Like the, why that's relevant is say you deploy like a Postgres container, mm-hmm. you would want your data to be in a persistent volume. You can actually like kill that Docker container, reinstantiate a new one, and it'll use that existing mount. So like all your data is mm-hmm. still there, all of your schema is still there. Like it's, it really drives the point home of the resiliency of, of containers. Yeah, something I say all the time about containers is that every time I spend an hour playing in, in the world of Docker or in Kubernetes, I learn something that just blows my mind every time. Um, there's so much there and it's such a very forward thinking platform uh, it's anyone who's not investing time and in learning, learning containers on some level right now is shooting themselves in the foot and yourselves that's included. That's one thing me. that kind of, yeah. that's one thing that kind of blew me away is the fact that I'm so used to, if you blow something away, you lose it, you lose your configuration, you lose the application. Uh, but this idea that you have these mount points, uh, to other shared storage where you can completely keep everything, and just yeah. blow it away. That's mind blowing. It's it's pretty cool. So there's a there's a V Brown bag I did that'll really really mess you up. Okay. Um, so uh, VMware has a product called Dispatch. It's a function as a service platform. A function okay. as a service is like Lambda. And a lot of people don't like who are new to containers don't realize that everything that happens at Lambda is a container. Right? So when you run a function, it spins up a container. So all those different languages Lambda has available are essentially just containers that they that they have, like images. Uh, we use containers heavily inside a code stream within CAS uh, to, to do uh, CI tasks. That being said, I ran a vBrown bag where I took OpenFAS, which is a function as a service platform, uh, dispatch integrated with it very heavily. And I... Um, ran these functions and these functions that I did were simple vSphere calls, right? So you would hit a URL and it would return back all the VMs in my environment. So it ran this Python function on the back end. What was really trippy about it is that it ran in Kubernetes and it was uh, automatically scalable. So I exposed my lab to the internet on this, on this V Brown bag. And I threw it up on Twitter and I said, Hey guys, attack this. Uh-oh. And you could watch it go. I watched it go from three, uh, from one, one replica and auto scale out to, to 55 replicas of this uh, this function as a service platform based on the scale that was hitting my environment. Never crippled, ran the whole time all the way through, no issues. And then when I killed it from the edge and turned off the NAT, I watched it scale all the way back down to one little node. So like this idea of this auto scaling wow. environment is just that's what blew my mind is like this it, idea of if you if you architect your application right. Your web front end should never care 
about how many exist. It's just sitting behind a load balancer, right? Mm -hmm. So like this idea that it can scale up to 50 and no admin ever touches that, or it'll scale back down to one and no admin ever has to be involved in that, in those actions. That's as a guy who used to ask for two more web servers to throw behind a load balancer to have that not be an issue anymore was just, that's, that's the cool stuff. Is that the one called VMware APIs as a service using OpenFAS and VIO Kubernetes? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Looks right. like we did that October seventeenth of last year. Yep. Yeah. Found it as well. So go go watch that one, folks. So yeah, here's where I really get confused cool. with all of this stuff, Cody. I, I mean, I I hear people talk about you know containers, and I hear Docker, and I hear all this other stuff like Puppet and Chef and you know, mm-hmm. I don't even know what any of this stuff is half the time. I don't know if they're all in the same, if they're all in the same boat or if they're different versions of things or like what's what, you know, there's, yeah. So yeah, you have vSphere integrated containers or Vic, um, you have Docker, you have everything else that that is in, in kubernetes i mean I'm, I'm so confused just by the sheer amount of options <laughs> so like yeah. so so so, so how, let's, what, let's, what, what's let's, really let's... the place to start with this stuff that's where i get confused and then i just stop yeah yeah so start as far as containers go starting with vic starting with basic docker is a great place to be right uh start with a simple web page and throw it in container and build and build from there. Now it takes lab time, right? And you have to mm-hmm. you have to play around and have time to do that. Right. Uh, the chef puppet um, chef puppet Ansible conversation is a is a separate thing. Those those guys are what we call configuration management. Okay. So think about how to mass configure existing environments. Okay. It's a much tougher like sell to have, in my opinion, to have like something like puppet manage a Docker environment, right? There's use cases for it, of course, but Docker is supposed to be stateless. You're not supposed to be changing these containers. If you need to change them, you're supposed to blow them away and load a new version. I mean, that's why Kubernetes has the ability to recycle uh, pods, right? So if I make a change, I can apply my new YAML and Kubernetes will orchestrate taking down the old versions and bringing up the new versions so there's no outage. So the Puppet, Chef, Ansible use case, that's kind of a a separate world. I'm actually working on a blog right now around getting started with puppet open source in in a home lab and that's because i think that ansible gets a lot of play and there's some really cool stuff about ansible but i i personally prefer puppet and i prefer the puppet way of doing things and really what these products are doing is just mass configuration of of environments using either ansible or or puppet right so in my case you've answered the question already there because i didn't even know that that's what they did so Look at this. I don't even represent these products as as my <laughs> VMware job, and I'm and I'm I'm giving out value, right? Because so. like I, I mean, you you walk down that aisle at VMworld, and they're kind of all right next to each other, and it's just like I you know as a guy who has never really cracked the cracked the book on what those things are, like it all sounds the same kind of Greek, confusing yeah. nonsense to me, you know. Um, as far as like. So if you're a new IT person and you're looking to kind of accelerate your career, right? Investing in Docker is a great place to be. Investing in like getting knowledge around containers and building container platforms, building applications inside of containers, learning how they work, 
absolutely a great place to be. Uh, Puppet, Chef, Ansible, they're not going anywhere. They're great platforms. They, they all have long, long lives ahead of them. Uh, but they are very much focused on, on traditional infrastructure, uh, which isn't going anywhere either, right? Like anybody who says Docker, all the things is there's a few people who can make that claim um, and, and have like the technical skill behind it. But generally I think we all agree that like not everything is built for containers. Not everything needs to be a container. Uh, so. And, yeah. and, go ahead. Go ahead. Tony. Sorry. Uh, one other thing that I kind of messed around with, um, I tried to get photon running and mm-hmm. I like I like the fact that Photon has you know Docker all pretty much ready to go once you deploy it and everything and that's yep. pretty cool. But so far, my experience with Photon has been that it is not for beginners. It is not for beginners with Linux because there's been a lot of things. I mean, it, it's trimmed back to be lightweight, so there's a lot of little utilities like NFS utils I had to install manually and some other things that I had. DNDF, no, no no yum no apt. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that just as a, a novice, I would not recommend starting with Photon. Um, I ended up switching back to uh, Ubuntu instead um, to get Docker up and running. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, that's good feedback because it's probably a really good blog post to do. Um, I recently, so I've, I've historically been a very big Ubuntu guy, just mm-hmm. a fan. Um so I recently just switched my some of my Docker stuff internally to use Photon again, and I, and I, I hear where you're coming from. Like there's there's definitely there's if you're going to use Photon as a Linux OS, there's a lot of work to do. If you're just using it purely as Docker, it's it's a little bit easier to get started with, but still there's some things you have to do. Like you, if you want to be able to access the host remotely not using SSH. If you just want to do remote, uh, remote Docker commands, you have to go in and edit the docker.service file to add the external API uh, stuff to it. And that's, a, that's not a photon problem. That's a Docker problem. Um, mm-hmm. a Docker change rather, but there's probably a really good blog post to do around, Hey, re- reintroducing photon, right. How to, how to get started with photon and use cases in your lab. If you're using it as a, as a Linux host, there's a ton of stuff you have to install and it's not, it's not normal, not the normal like brand of Linux. Um, Ubuntu is much it's easier. Custom, to get. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's parsed down, right? The idea of Photon was to be a very much, uh, very much stripped down version of Linux Speed. that's focused on appliances or containers. So mm-hmm. that's why, like a lot of our, a lot of our appliances are moving towards Photon because it l- less security risk footprint. Yeah, and I think it's a great product. It's just you know, as a yeah. novice, I I was kind of lost. It's like, man, this should this should be working, and I don't know why it's working, not working. And yeah, noted. We will we will come back to this when I drop a blog post on getting started with Photon again. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I will look forward to that post because there's I'm sure a lot I can learn from that. It's just been it's been a really good experience, but because I've been learning so much. I mean, even some of the the more basic commands. Um, that I didn't know as a long time windows user, right? You don't ever have to worry about any of that stuff inside the windows world. So uh, it's been interesting from that perspective, but just what a container is and, and the disposable nature, it's been really interesting to wrap my head around all the changes then in that way. So I'll show you guys another, since we're, since we're already in, in the sharing screens mode, I'll show you guys something else cool too. <laughs> so I built this for, so uh, again, I'm not going to turn this into, into pitching, pitching my products, uh, but obviously I represent cloud management business units. So cloud assembly is my, or cloud assembly, uh, service broker and CodeStream are my, 
are my products. Um, mm -hmm. So you should see my my uh, cloud automation services now, right? Yep. So I'm going to pop into CodeStream and just show you something very quick container related. Um, so I moved my blog publishing into CodeStream. So now when I when I publish my blog posts, mm -hmm. it runs a webhook inside of CodeStream or a, web, a webhook fires in GitHub that CodeStream sees and processes a job. And this job is very simple. It does a very, very simple task of, uh, it's really just a little script block. Um, and you can see that it goes through and it exports out a bunch of values. It um, curls down the installation file for Hugo, installs AWS CLI, does some things and stuff. This is running in a container. So in CodeStream, when I go over to CI Workspace, you can see it's pulling down this builder image. Mm -hmm. This builder image is this Docker file. So when you go to build a container, you have to specify the things that are included in it. So from Ubuntu's base container, I want to update the build, and then I want to install a bunch of stuff. I install wget curl. I update the git package. I install Python 3.6. I install pip, which is Python's package manager. I install, I install regular pip for Python. I install pigments so I can do, um, this is for syntax highlighting in Hugo. And then I also install AWS CLI via this. So this, this deploys out, like if I run this Docker file, if I do a Docker build against this file, this will build a container image that I can then consume elsewhere. So learning how to build Docker images is a fun, a fun adventure um, and very useful. Yeah, I figured there's so many things that are containerized nowadays. I better start learning it. So I, I'm just kind of absolutely. Jumped. It's very interesting, but still very much above my head. I got to keep delving into it. Well, and I and I've forever like every time I log into the the web GUI in my Synology, I see the thing available for running Docker on the Synology. Yeah, I can't show the containers that I'm running in my Synology. Yeah, it's a for, uh, I know why. <laughs> for re for reasons and stuff. You know, you especially know why, Tony. Yeah, you, yes. you, you, so moving on, yeah. uh, using the doc. If you're if you have a Synology and you're not using Docker in it, you're making a mistake. Just tell tell me more of what I'm doing wrong, Cody. That's what I'm. That's what I'm here for. My, my father did the same thing, and it only took like five years of therapy to get past it. So. <laughs> Uh, tell me more of how I've disappointed you, Cody. That worked in the intro. <laughs> yes, we'll turn this into a, a daddy issues therapy session for all of us. Right. <laughs> it's like a, it's like the How I Met Your Mother episodes. The one with, the one with the daddy issues. <laughs> Here's a tissue. Uh, <clears throat> right. Right. Like I, I still out? have to like get to work on NSXT in earnest. Like that's what I need to do over the winter, because so I got I got T up and running in my in my lab. Yeah, uh, Anthony I've, Burke. I've barely scratched the surface of it, and I know I just I know I have to hit more time in it, and I just I, you know, it's hard, man. It's interesting because like I looked at T back in like the one dot one dot X days or like one dot O days, and it just melted my brain and I gave up and just stuck with stuck with V. And then a little while back I had this itch to go and deploy PKS in my lab, which I never never finished up because I got access to Which PKE is the piv and pivotal container that. service, right? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So another thing <clears throat> of containers uh, that we didn't talk we didn't even talk a, about pivotal. Well but it's 
it's it's it's Kubernetes, but it really Pivotal Container Services is the combination of NSXT, uh, Bosch from Pivotal, and uh, and Kubernetes. So just a com- combination of three of those. Okay. But uh, once I you know spent some time in uh, digging into NSXT, it's actually a very easy platform to get set up and running with. Um, makes a lot. I don't know. I find it easier to understand than than NSXV now. In the beginning, I didn't, but now I do. So, and the UI is just light years better. So, having not messed with V very much at all, really haven't had the time to learn it. Would it be easier for me, not knowing anything about V, to go straight to T? Yes. Okay, because you don't have to wrestle that mindset product change, right? I would say my biggest struggle with learning T was getting myself divorced of V concepts, like stuff in V that doesn't doesn't translate into T or is done differently in T. If I was starting straight with T, it would be a much, but it would have been a much easier uh, easier place to start. So, so does T have a fully separated GUI? I mean, it's not in, integrated into vCenter yes. anymore in the Correct. GUI, right? <clears throat> yep, yeah, because it's multi hypervisor, right? So the right. idea is that you could have. Someone stand at one Yep. Do you have anything you can screen share with uh, NSXT, or is that uh, all? No, I can show. I can show my NSXT environment. It's very, it's very basic. So there's not a lot, not a lot in there. But I, I can actually might, just that might make it, it easier to understand. Being basic. So, this is the the UI when you come at first. So if I hit my dashboard. This is my my environment. I've just got a single controller. That's not best practice. Should have three or four, um, but I have just one. But it's a lab. Yeah, it's a lab. So, and transport nodes was it was a different concept. Um, so these are the three mm-hmm. different um, hosts as well as my my router for NSXT. So still uh, still overlay overlay network. Still quote unquote underlay network. Uh, those concepts carry over so you can see my overlay and my uplink network so i have an uplink transport zone that that ties into my physical environment and then the overlay is where is where all of the nsxt bits live um it's not vxlan anymore it's genevieve so it's just different different protocol from, from that perspective but it's not again it's not it's not that hard you're still deploying a, a an nsx edge you're still setting up um setting up an interface on your physical network and then having it tie into the, to the overlay network. So it's, it's relatively, I would say it's super easy, but it's relatively easy to get started with. Is it something that you think they're going to add into the VXWRT program so we can have some licensing to play around with it in our labs? I, I thought it was already there, but if yeah, it's not, if you have, not v, sure. if you have V licenses, you have T licenses. Oh. That's what it's supposed to be, but I, I don't know if they've set it up in such a way. I mean, it's it the licensing as a customer is that is that way. I don't know if it's that way from a from a it should, VX it shouldn't program. Be different. Yeah. I don't think it's. It different. shouldn't be different. It shouldn't be. Yeah. I think enterprise. It's it the key the key hook there is NSX enterprise licensing. If yeah. you have enterprise license. Yeah, well. that that's the big difference. If you buy like if you're a customer now and you buy NSX, what they call NSX for the data center. Then you're getting just V, I believe. But so what's really cool about about uh, NSXT is one of the cool things is how fast it deploys, um, like load balancers and such. Like in NS, if you had like on-demand load balancers in VRA, and you went to deploy uh, deploy a load balancer, it would drop a whole new edge in, 
uh, and both the load balancer onto that, but it's very quick to deploy load balancers and such inside of NSXT because the, the router is already there. And, and really inside of that, um, inside of the tier one router is essentially, essentially a form of containers, right. That are running those routing services. So. Interesting. Oh, at this point, if I haven't learned V, I should probably just learn T. I, I think it's I think it's safe to safe to go that way. There's a lot of features like so. The feature parity is not 100% there yet. Um, so there's some stuff that's missing, but like basic firewallings there. I think it's policy manager that's missing in T. So like uh, advanced policy creation, but you can still do you know basic DFW uh, content, which obviously I'm not doing very much of at all. So hard to do that in the lab. <clears throat> Most of what I have T4 in place is the is the virtual networking constructs so like on-demand load balancers, on-demand networks, uh, consumption inside of inside of cloud automation services. So like I, this is my, the network I deploy to is a is an N6T N6T network. Looks a little bit different inside of vCenter because it's got a little different icon, um, but mm-hmm. all works the same. Yeah, this is actually the first time I've ever seen T. Oh yeah, yeah. T is a T is a fun platform. I spent, it's very funny. Uh, I don't know if you guys know him. A guy named Anthony Burke. He's on the team that globally goes out and deploys NSXT and helping with adoption and such. Um, he's a great friend. He so above anybody else, Anthony Burke is the person who can claim victory for Cody wanting to come work at VMware. So above <laughs> Jad, above Grant, above John, Anthony Burke and a guy named Nick Bradford. I watched a session they did. Um, in VMworld San Francisco and their session just inspired me more than anybody else. So like I, the story has been consistent my entire time. There's a lot of people who made me uh, think about coming to VMware. There are two people who can claim victory for that. And it's those two. So. Nice. Cody, have you run across? He does, he does. Sorry. Have you run across no, no, this, this add on called rest NSX? Yeah, yeah. Rest in a sex is cool. I, 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 I got a demo from DJ, and he's the basically the owner of the company, um, or a customer that I'm working with. And I came away watching what that product does, and I was just my brain was just exploded. I mean, yeah. Everything that it does. Way to do multi tenancy and NSX gloriously. It's it, it's unbelievable, and I'm just like I'm like every single piece of this product should be in the next release of NSX. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? I, don't, I don't I don't disagree with you. I yeah. don't work in the NSBU, so I'm allowed to have that opinion. So. <laughs> I don't, yeah, so I'm just like I, I'm. Uh, he he he's they they gave me. Um, some trial bits of it so I'm, I'm i'm rebuilding my lab purposefully so that i can deploy rest nsx on top of my nsx build and then i want to you the, the big thing that they tout is you can take and mi- migrate a active configuration from v to t with their product very cool so i want to play with that and that's it, it everything that it does it just makes it super easy like especially for people who are so um <laughs> you know not wanting to learn a new networking product if you're uh, you know deep into the cisco world yeah. or if you're deep into juniper or whatever um 
you know, and it, this REST NSX thing, it kind of adds just enough of an extra gooey layer on top of things to make it, you know, a little bit easier to manage NSX if you're not wanting to learn a whole new CLI. Totally. They've they've done a great job with that product. And I think it's like relatively cheap to get started like as a as a customer to buy licensing for it. Like it's depends on your definition of cheap. <laughs> Rex on Rex on Rex. I worked for a utility company. Come on. Yeah. But no, I've I've actually I've I've you know, I've, because of my partner, I've seen the pricing. It's actually not it is not actually actually not terrible. So um I uh I'm gonna have I'm, I'm it, our our podcast schedule for next year is almost already fully booked for the year. Um, Ooh, so, you. but I'm gonna get DJ from Rest NSX on an episode, and I have his blessing. Once I kind of go through the, my lab and build a presentation, um, I'm gonna pitch to the V Brown Bag folks to do a V Brown Bag on basically my favorite NSX add-on things and include them in there. So, nice, very cool. cool. So that, that's going to be like my. I'm going to try to do it like February, March, if I can get in the schedule, and I've got to talk to talk to the folks there about that. We'll see if very that cool, man. So, but yeah, it's 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 been that that after VM because I, I I was really sad because I saw their demo after VMworld, <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to talk to them while I was there, and. Mm. Like yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of them now. But anywho, nice man. All right, are we hitting time for you, Cody? Do you have to go? Yeah, yeah. I think it's about time for me to punch out and go be a family man. All right, sounds good. Cody, any last words of wisdom and advice for people listening today? That's the end of the. Uh, hopefully, the people. The hope, so. Hopefully, people will keep the uh, the upcoming news about the the thing I'm going to do a secret because I'd like to do some cool announcements around it. But if you don't, that's okay too. I won't be too disappointed. And plus, just it'll me. just show that people are listening to right. the cast, which is 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 valuable, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Let me let me just preface it this way: If you're listening to the show right now, this is going to get released either tonight or tomorrow morning. If you are a listener and you want to tweet about the thing Cody talked about, just say, I'm so excited for redacted. If you want the information linked <laughs> to the podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So make sure whatever you tweet is in the quote redacted form and direct yes. people to us to get the real information. Uh, as far as into the year stuff goes, uh, remember everyone, this is the time about family and, and not just, not just real family, like blood family, friends, friends count too. Right. Remember this is about being close, close to people and it's about the people around you. So, mm -hmm. uh, don't, don't forget to let the people know who you appreciate. Um, and, uh, make sure to build the people up around you. That's what the season's all about. Very cool. Tony parting thoughts. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I will play us out. And uh, it's been another great GigaCast episode. Thanks for joining us all today. Thanks for dropping the Docker knowledge, Cody. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, glad, to, glad to impart some stuff.
Again, this has been GigaCast episode 23 for November 13th, 2018. Thanks again to Cody D. Arkland. He is at Cody D. Arkland on Twitter. I am at VCIXNV. Tony is at Import Car Guy. We're gonna try to schedule an episode in December, and I'm I've gotta talk to Tony about this yet, but I think he'll be okay with it. I would like to do a GigaCast listener appreciation episode where we talk to you folks. Some of our listeners, I want to get a handful of people together. This will be sometime in December, so we'll find something that works for a group of people and, and talk about what's important to you guys, the listeners of this show. So, um, I've got a couple of people in mind, Al, and, you know, let's let's have some fun with this, and it'll be a good holiday episode where we create our own little virtual family on the podcast. So, look for more on that. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.